Welcome to the Beyond Success Podcast, a collection of conversations with the best business minds, captains of industry, and entrepreneurs in the world. Learn what their journey has taught them, how they applied the lessons they learned, and ultimately created six, seven, and even eight-figure businesses. We can't create successful businesses by ourselves, so sit back and let the Beyond Success Podcast be your mentor. Now, here's your host, author, entrepreneur, public speaker, and master money manifester, Daniel Mangana. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Doop Dome podcast. I am here with the legend, the myth. <laughs> Nay, do I say the legend. <laughs> Nick Manson, Esquire, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, man. It's great to be on with you, Dan. <laughs> Thanks, so. It was, do you know what? This is one of those podcasts. I had a, another one of the people that I really look up to, who you, small world, you know as well, Greg Reed, we had on, um, actually posted him a week before. We're recording this beginning of November. Greg's podcast was up last week. I was like, oh my God, I now have, like, my people. And it's really weird because in my mind movie, uh, for like six months, one of the affirmations I had on there was my mentors and those who I look up to are now becoming my peers. It's like, well, I'm going to claim it here because we're on the podcast, so I'm going to claim it. So, thank you, Jesus. So, why don't you, <laughs> for those of you who, uh, for, for those in the audience who have been living under a, 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 a mat and don't know anything about you, you know, why don't you just say who are you, and what you have in it. Yeah, man. Uh, great to be here uh, as always. And that is what happens as you up level your, you know, your mentors and your, those you look up to become your peers and then you do it all over again. And so that's a, a kind of <laughs> but it is, it is a, it, whenever I'm in a room that I, I feel like I, I mean, it, a lot of it's luck, right? Like a lot of life is just luck, but mm-hmm. I did the work I could do and I was lucky and I got in the room and you feel mm-hmm. like in a, in a room with people who are, uh, you're definitely not the smartest one in the room. It's always a great, uh, it's always a great experience and, and, and a great feeling. Um, my background, um, I am an ADHD songwriter, uh, <laughs> turned into a documentary producer. Uh, and I've worked with, I mean, over 3000 clients in 63 countries across, across the globe to help them share their stories. As I look at what it is that I really do. And I've been really, I mean, COVID has provided many moments of clarity for many of us. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think what I, I was having a conversation with a guy today and he, he was like, I've seen your stuff. I've seen this. And he's like, what do you really do? And I, and I put it very distinctly. I'm like, I have assembled a team um, that can create any media you want from a logo or a blog to a sold out Broadway show, which we've done to Mm -hmm. Netflix content or theater, theatrical content, whatever you want, we can create it for you. What uh, books, I mean, we've done, we've created about every type of media you can imagine for clients where people often get confused is, um, I, media is something you insert in marketing to grow your business. Media on its own, uh, without promotion on things, doesn't just magically grow your business or, or <laughs> message, right? And so, uh, so we create media. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a storyteller, and I sort of fell into that. I didn't even, I never looked for it. I went to law school, as you, you sort of mentioned. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we we help uh, brands and uh, nonprofits and amazing thought leaders share their stories through. I mean, basically every type of media imaginable. That's the short version, at least. Uh, and 
I actually wanted to come to that because, I mean, for example, one of your most recent documentaries, an amazing one that everybody has to check out, is called Dreamer. There's some big hitters in there, Lisa Nichols, some amazing people. If you don't trust my word, which you should by now, go over to, isn't the trailer on YouTube? Did I see the trailer on YouTube? The trailer should be on YouTube, yeah. You should be yeah, on yeah. So, yeah. yeah, go check out the Dreamer. How many Emmys have you won now? 11, 12? Uh, 16, yeah. 16. I would see, I was, I was, I was short. So, it's all right. That's all right. If you don't trust me, trust the Emmys. He knows what he's, t- he's doing. Go and check that out. Um, there's a new one you're working on. I like, I'm, I'm, I actually unsubscribe to most stuff that comes in my email. I always love to get the ones from you guys. Like, what are they doing now? Oh my god! I want to be a part of it. It's really great stuff. So, but yeah, but it, it, who wakes up having gone through all the arduous tasks? My sister and my dad. My dad got bored in his forties and went and trained in law in the UK. My sister did her law degree, but now she works in something else. But nobody goes through all of the training, all of the, the hours of reading papers and being, nobody does that for, for, for poops and giggles. Like, where does the where does the leap happen from yeah. that? I mean, that, what you do that's there? An, that's an easy one. Uh, so my fam, my I was born in Barbados. My family's been in Barbados for three hundred years. Get out! Stop! 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 Yeah, yeah. Duncan, my business partner, I was telling you about, he's also born in Barbados. Well, no, he's born in Bahamas. Oh, bollocks. But it's still interesting. Go for it. That's close. So, <laughs> so living there for 300 years, my dad is actually from a smaller island called St. Vincent. So my a bunch of my extended family moved to uh, the Central Florida area when I was about one. My older brother was three. So, mm-hmm. at, I mean, so the bottom line is we're immigrants, right? And mm-hmm. my parents worked really hard. And, uh, you know, they... They sort of left everything, uh, much of my family did, to not that we were like in a war-torn country, so I don't want to make it sound like super mm-hmm. over-dramatized, but really, they came to America to give my brother and I a better opportunity, and then my uncles mm-hmm. asked for my cousins, and my my parents just said, hey, look, um, you can do whatever you want to do in life. Like, I was a musician, my brother's an actor, like, do whatever you want, but just get a profession. Like, everything mm-hmm. else, you can do whatever you want after that, but just, just get a profession to fall back on. We're both like, never... So my brother's mm-hmm. older than me. He's a child forensic psychiatrist. Uh, mm-hmm. I couldn't go. To, I was never going to make it to med school. So I went to law school. So <laughs> I wanted to be in the music business. And I knew that a lot of CEOs of major record labels and stuff were lawyers. So I'm like, ah, I can figure that out. And so right. I, I went to law school. Um, it was painful. Um, but the only thing that I think got me through was they installed Wi-Fi in my first year of law school. So I had in my classes, I had my laptop and I was literally running my businesses at the time on AOL Instant Messenger. Uh, I was running businesses in class because they typically would pick on someone and just just pick on them all day. So once you didn't get picked, once you like dodge a bullet, you could sort of do it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so, but I mean, it was, um, it was re- really interesting. I would bet law school gives me, gave me more of a thought process than I'm willing to give credit for. So I, I, I would, I would guess that, but, um, I think the thing that law school did for me the most is probably because I decided not to practice law. So in most of the rooms I'm in, I'm the only lawyer and I get credibility and credit for it, even if I don't deserve it, as opposed to at a law firm or somewhere else, you're just another lawyer. I mean, I remember when I was like 20. 26 or something like that. And so I had, had passed the bar a couple years earlier. And I remember I was at the time working with my business partner, Jack. I was actually working for him and his nephew while I was trying to figure out what was next for me. And, uh, 
there's this guy who's like, I don't know, mid fifties, I'm 20 something. And there's like a $3 million deal and we're in the boardroom and, and, and the CEO goes, Oh yeah. Yeah. Make sure you give that to Nick so he can review it. I'm like, I mean, I'm six. This guy's done like, he was 50 something. He's done like a thousand deals. Man was just told to give it to this child to review it. I'm like, right, I might as well go with it. But it was just sort of, I finally realized like, Oh, wait a minute. I got this credibility that maybe, you know, in a lot of cases you didn't feel like it was earned. I mean, if we talk about law school, like in every, you walk into any fast food restaurant, you might have a, an Albert Einstein in there eating a cheeseburger and you might have someone who's barely functional enough to get out of bed eating a cheeseburger. Law school is the same way. Let me break it down very clearly. <laughs> Everyone in law school is a brilliant person. I went to a good law school. And so it's just really interesting. And then I also learned at law school, like it, everything at my law school was like most law schools is you have one test at the end of the semester, other than like two, like writing classes, basically you mm -hmm. take one test at the end of the semester and that and your, and not being an a-hole grade is what you get basically. Like there's a participation grade, which basically means if I call on you and you're completely unprepared, which happens sometimes, um, <laughs> Credit taken off. Other than that, it's like your test at the end of the semester is what wow. dictates half the class is going to get C's. Then, you know, like 10% uh, are going to get D's, 10% are going to get B's, or maybe it's 15 and 15, and then 5% get F's, 5% get A's, or whatever. And so you wow. literally just had to be average. Like, if I could mm -hmm. be average in this pack, like, I'm going to be fine. And because you're still going to get the same degree, and I wasn't looking really to practice law anyway. But it, it really taught me, like, I mean, where should I put my effort? Like, so Ooh. I put my effort where I had to, you know? Um, <laughs> Uh, 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 great stories about law school, but we'll stop there. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So, law school, just remember cheeseburgers, all right? <laughs> See great cheeseburger eaters that happen to get law school. Love it, love it, love it. So, so, it was literally just, you know, following the parents' advice to make sure that you were prepared. So, giving you the... Uh, giving you a framework that allowed you to be free to chase what you desired, basically, to follow your dream, giving you some, some security to follow your dream with. Yeah, I think so. And, and my parents are, I mean, we, we didn't, my, they went through several career iterations and things and, and we, we hit some hard times and, you know, but I think also when you sort of reset, there's like not a whole lot of like to fall back on for them. So for them, I think they really there, but I, but I had more love than I could spend by the way, but like mm -hmm. the, they, I think they really just never wanted me to feel uh, disempowered. Like I feel like they felt sometimes. I'm sure some of it was the mental, um, the mental gymnastics that I would probably go through too if I moved to another country. Like just mm -hmm. not whether, like I live in, I still live in Central Florida, and mm -hmm. there's so many things that I have no clue about. But I probably have a false sense of confidence that I know enough people I could work this out, right? Anything that mm -hmm. might happen around here, I have a network. I've been here 40 years. I mean, I, mm -hmm. you know, I could, I could figure it out. I can't imagine. How different it would be just moving to a different country where the laws are different, the economy is different, the you know the mm -hmm. your network is different, and so I think a lot of that I think was probably psychological. Um, but mm -hmm. I think they felt uh, they felt a little helpless sometimes, and they never wanted me and my brother to do that. And so, like many, I mean, certainly many immigrants, but many families, it's like, hey, you know, do do the thing that so you can always fall back on something. And I mm -hmm. think you know that is um, again, I probably don't give it enough credit, 
but I do, I take a lot of risks. I try to, I try not to take foolish risks, but I take <laughs> apps, I would not be as willing to take those risks. If I really, my business partner calls it being intellectually honest with yourself, which is the hardest way to be honest with yourself. If I was going to myself, would I take the same risks now that I take? If I didn't have my law degree to fall back on, I don't know, you know, but it, but it, it certainly, um, it, for, I finished my undergrad in like two and a half years, which is four year degree. And so wow. I had time. And so, cause I had a bunch of different AP classes. So I actually ended up, ended up graduating a semester after that because I wasn't ready to start law school yet. And I was going to lose all my scholarship money. So I, oh, t- wow. so I did actually didn't graduate till three years, like the end of my third year instead of two and a half. Mm-hmm. But I took my last class and my last semester was 12 hours of independent study and blues guitar with, uh, with my favorite professor. And so you know, <laughs> alone for the semester and I came back and played three songs. I got an a minus, um, nice. but, uh, but, but I would, you know, three years of your life looking back, I mean, it's probably pretty, it's probably a pretty good, uh, probably a pretty good idea for a lot of people. I mean, it wasn't fun, but it was, you know, it, it built a lot of foundation for you to be able to do a lot of things. I love that because I think for people, I mean, I'm Jim, a CEO, Jim with your eyes open. I'm all of that, all about that. But I think one of the aspects of the dream with your eyes open mantra that I think people lose sight of is, yeah, dream, but have your stuff together. You know, yeah. like people that, like you said, even like with, with what you're doing with media content creation, like, they were like, yeah, I'm going to do this and do that, but they don't have any of the rest of the pieces together. I mean, I even look, so for those of you who are like, oh, how did you get to meet Jack Canfield? Because of Nick. <laughs> so, but just because I've met Jack doesn't mean that anything's going to come of that. When that content becomes available, I'm going to have to do some legwork to make sure that people know about this time that I got to share with, with such an inspirational person. I think a lot of times people, whether it's laziness or ignorance, they just expect everything to kind of fall in. There's some legwork that we have to put in often and having your safety net or your love cushion, as I like to call it, having that love cushion of having something to, to back up on does create that space for you to be able to go for a bit more and take more risks. Yeah, so I've, I absolutely agree. Um, we could go on this for a while. So first of all, I believe that that freedom is only ever found within boundaries. Um, you, the only way to truly like, look, you're about to have a baby coming, right? And and yeah, I know you you help raise uh, you know another child, but yeah. like if you do not give a child boundaries, the first thing they do is they they get anxiety and start acting out. I mean, I, my mm-hmm. my brother's a child psychiatrist, so he could he could check my. Face. Science, but I know this to be true. I mean, Please, when kids, kids will test their boundaries till they find the boundaries, and a kid does not feel safe unless they have unless they have boundaries, unless they know. Oh, I get to go to this place. I yeah, mm-hmm. the, the wall. The literally, I have physical boundaries, but I also have there's emotional boundaries that no one's going to lash out at me and just beat me in the middle of the day. Like there's boundaries. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. so we're, we're all learning that. And I always want to when I go speak at different schools because all the work I've done in human trafficking and stuff that I I end up getting invited to speak to kids and now it's digitally used to be you know in person but i will say like do you ever feel because i the first thing is like every child feels like um they're when their parent like wants to check their phone or take like or take it away or monitor it like they feel like they're being encroached on like you you don't trust me and i and i always say well hey look let's look at it this way um 
it, have you ever played a game where you didn't know the rules? It's impossible to win. You literally cannot mm. win a game if you don't know the rules. And so, mm. so all your parents are trying to do is set boundaries in a game that you can win. And there's so mm. much out there that you don't understand and you don't want to understand that they've taken mm. that upon themselves to help you make sure that those boundaries are, are set correctly. So that's one thing. Second thing is like I, my other thing that allows me to take risks that are unusual we'll call them sometimes first of all um there's a like i think oftentimes by people who get out of jail and like how life must be impossible when you get out of jail without someone to help you because you know you and i it might look like all i do is win like i mean i really might like i've lost so many things and had just had a lot of hardship a lot of struggle i mean thankfully not nothing compared to a lot of other people but i mean I mean, I've been down to my last times. I've, I'm, you know, again, had lots of support in my life, but I've, I've, uh, with the community around me, I've been able to build what I built and I built it. I didn't get handed anything, but okay. you know, and, and I've almost filed bankruptcy and all, all the other fun things that most entrepreneurs do, but mm-hmm. you know, I've been much like yourself, you know, I've been making a, I've been making, let's say 75 to 80% good decisions most of my life. So I have a momentum built, as do you. Like if you're starting from scratch or from making a really bad decision, you don't remember when you're eight, when you're 18 or 20 or 22. You know, you don't remember how long it took you and how much support you had to get to where you were independent, right? And so you have to build. It's it's all momentum. And so you know, one bad decision or one accident, one main things can set your momentum back. But you know, we the reason why it looks like Dan, all you do is win is. Because because every day you're incrementally making good decisions the best you can. Yeah. Now, we lose, sometimes we might lose money, might lose a client, might lose a relationship, and we do mess up and have to learn from it. But mm-hmm. and sometimes outside circumstances, but we have to it, – it's incremental decisions. The other thing is that you know, I take a lot of the, the risks that I'm able to take – because um, because my self-worth, I, I try as much as I can to not tie my self-worth up in my projects, although that's, that's easier said than done. But yeah. I, I always tell you, because know, you get a lot of credit and sometimes you get a lot of like people celebrate certain things you do. Right. And so that's it's fun. But like mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, like my wife and my kids, they don't really care. Like they're like they're like, oh, I got to go to the Emmys again. You know, like it's you know, they fun like the first time. But it's like, you know, they don't care if I won 50 more Emmys or if they just want me to be their dad or my wife wants mm-hmm. me to be her husband. So I can take risks that are maybe, maybe look like, Oh man, what happens if he loses? Cause I know my floor is always a loving family that cares about me, but That's it also beautiful. takes pouring into them and being there for them so that you're not just some, some jerk who lives in the same house. Right. And- <laughs> A lot of, I mean, a lot of this has been constructed um, over a lot of time and a lot of like really, you know, being thoughtful and actually being not being thoughtful sometimes. And someone who loves you in your life, like your wife's, I'm like reminding you like, hey, I'm really glad you're out there killing it. But remember, like, I didn't decide to have a family by myself. I'm like, oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you get into a mode where you're just like chasing because you, you know, you're trying to prove yourself worth to the world. You're trying to make money. You're trying to provide for everybody. And you can get lost in it really easily so anyway that's, that's longer of a rant than i intended but there you go. No, 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 no. There's, there's a lot of goodness that came from that number one the idea of balance because i know some people 
they're out there making those moves to kill it, but they're forgetting about that boundary, that, that boundary of having that loving family, that boundary of remembering the people that you, you know, you're not making this for no reason. You're making this stuff work because you want to make more opportunities for your family. You want to be able to provide more for them or give them more opportunities. You want your kids to not have to think about things. You're thinking about your legacy. But if you're so caught up in the dollar bill or the euro, the pound note that you're not thinking about them, then what are we doing it for? Absolutely. And, and a couple other things. I, I say that, you know, when you think about like provide, I want to provide for my family, but there's so many like there's we all have obstacles in our life. And I would say for m- majority of the world, um, you know, money is a big piece of those struggles over a lifetime. And I found that if if you ever meet someone that money from the time from any particular time on was never going to be a struggle they find their other struggles and they're typically much worse so like yeah. <laughs> They find alcohol, they find, you know, you know, they find something. crazy sexual things like it's like so I I want to raise my children in a in an environment to help them succeed and be productive human beings. I don't by any means intend to leave them exceptional, extravagant wealth. Not that I have it anyway, but like that's just I when I think yeah. that, that doesn't even make sense. The other thing that I've been thinking about a lot recently, I have a client who's in his, I guess, mid to late 60s selling mm-hmm. his business for I got I'm not that smart you seven eight so like nine figures right so like yeah. a lot of money right like yeah. and uh, yeah and a couple of things have come out of thinking that through like the initial because I'm like helping him through some of the things actually I mean, in some cases he calls me for like some help on the mental side of it which I think is really interesting so Dan Sullivan who you know I talk about a lot I just had him on my podcast my live stream. yeah so that Dan's amazing um, Dan talks about the fact that when you're an entrepreneur um, you've you've lived your entire life on offense. Like you've been trying to to use a sports now. You've been trying to like to to conquer and gain and 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 make money and and if most entrepreneurs, the moment you go from you know however many years forty, this guy mid sixty something years of his life on offense to now is a huge sum of money and. Unless he starts a new entrepreneurial venture pretty quickly, which, by the way, is very difficult to find another one, I think, that makes that much money. But, like, he's yeah. instantly on defense. Like, you're instantly going – you're instantly being put into a, to a, a role that you are you are amazingly unprepared for and probably well-suited to, right? So, if you're going to do that, you have to build some some safeguards in for yourself. And, and as Dan said, you have to find the who's. You don't need to learn how to manage your money. You need to find some who's to manage mm-hmm. your money. And set things up because you now have to figure out a construct that makes you um, that gives you uh, joy again because the money's mm. not going to give you the joy like most entrepreneurs the thrill of the deal the incremental success the gro- like the growth the growing other yeah. people like you now are obviously living a different life that was a really interesting thought to me and the other thing was like the, the first like instinct to be you know when I'm 40 in the thick of raising a 15 year old boy a 13 year old boy a 9 year old girl I told you earlier, I gotta take the two boys to soccer practice my daughter just wanted to dance like it is like <laughs> the first instinct and and we're constantly um i'm like richard branson he told me this in an interview he said well nick i'm always strapped for cash and doing too many things and i'm like okay i have permission if <laughs> one of the richest men in the uk in the world right 10 billion now whatever he's worth like but there's there's many things we can talk about sir richard but uh great guy by the way. <laughs> But like, uh, I, the first instinct to be like, man, that must be awesome to be like, like sort of done. Like you built it, you sold it. Like the next day you can like sleep in, have a mimosa, whatever. And then I was like, 
But I was like, but then, you know, like, like you put yourself in their shoes and I go, well, you know, if I really think about it intellectually, honestly, honestly with myself, like it wouldn't be that much fun because it means you're sort of done. I mean, it doesn't, you yeah. don't have to be done with life. Right. But like mm -hmm. you, you lived that and you're sort of there, like I'm 40, that's 25 or something years away. Like in my mind, I just wished away 25 years, like in a, in mm -hmm. a weird way, right? which is not at all. I do. And when you really look at it all, I unfortunately had had a my college roommate, a good friend of mine, uh, passed away last week. He I oh, didn't realize depression. Thank you, and he and he took his life. And so, if anyone is lonely, reach out to anyone. Reach out to somebody, please. I don't mm. understand depression, but it's a terrible thing. The aftermath it leaves certainly behind. But like you know, the at the end of the day, look, we are all going to be in the ground, right? And and mm -hmm. an event like that certainly reminds you of it, right? And we're all going to be in the ground. And by Two generations, if we're lucky, they're not going to know a thing about us. Like, let's just be very honest with it. Like, <laughs> hospital building, you can do whatever you want, but like, yeah. they're not going to be celebrating your name every day. Like, mm. maybe if you write a great book or produce mm. a great film or do something that actually has generational impact, maybe. But I mean, we and we all try, but even then, they might watch it once in our life, right? So, like, mm -hmm. so what are we doing here? So, I, I'm really trying as much as like I'm great at looking to the future. To, oh, just if I could just get that and do this, and and I'm great at that game. But like, I'm really trying to just realize that life is about nothing more than the journey. Because, mm -hmm. and I don't get super metaphysical about it, but like, you know, at the end of the day, like the 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 gain and the loss is what is defining who I am, and it's defining mm -hmm. what I'm becoming. And at the end, like, you know, Jack Canfield says, the purpose of life is not to get from here to the end with nothing bad happening. When you get to the end, you go, whoo, nothing happened. Oh, no. And then you're done, right? It's just like <laughs> it's right when it's too late that that was not the point. And so I would encourage anybody who is who's fighting the good fight, feels like they're climbing uphill every day. This is part of sharpening who you are becoming and what you're going to be capable of. Uh, so, you know, just enjoy the journey because there's it's so easy to get stuck in the day to day going, man, if I could just have, if I could just sell my business for nine figures, and <laughs> but really that's not the point. And even him, like he ended up calling off the deal because he sort of realized recently, like, man, maybe that's not what I want. Right. Like I'm enjoying mm. doing this thing. I'm, I'm enjoying building people and human beings. And like at that point, I mean, he's going to find something else to worry about if he sells the business for sure. Anyway. Yeah. But, you know, he's making enough money that like he really needs to change his mindset. His mindset mm -hmm. needs to now not be about, you know, like most entrepreneurs, you're trying to kill it so you can eat it. Like just mm -hmm. like get like he's not in that place. I mean, he has big mm -hmm. challenges and big staff and everything else. But if he would change his mindset, he could probably relax in every way he wanted to and put people in place to do the things he doesn't want to do and enjoy mm -hmm. the continued growth of the things he wants to do. Right. So. And that's, I mean, for me, I was just had a, a call with a friend of mine earlier, and we were talking about how I've been incrementally systemizing my business and getting the, the support and, you know, just making the scaling happen. And it's like, yeah, like, the beautiful thing is not needing to think about the things I don't want to do. Whenever, you know, we, we, we scale up a little bit, is that money goes back into covering me not needing to do so many things. Right. So, because the time abundance is more important to me, the energy, the, the happiness abundance and the financial abundance, because you can't really 
by those nah. things. So the money facilitates it's a, a medium of exchange that facilitates us having more of that stuff that we want in our life. Exactly. I mean, the money is the only use of money is buying you more time and freedom. I mean, mm-hmm. so like if you're if you're giving up all your time and freedom just to make the money, like you have it backwards. Like. <laughs> Because we get caught in these social constructs and these systems that sort of make us think that way. But absolutely, I think anytime you can stop and go like, like, wait, wait a second, why am I doing this anyway? Now, I mean, look, we've all gotten ourselves in the point where, I mean, or I know I have, where there are lots of pressures and you do have to make the money in order to make sure that everything doesn't, the house of cards doesn't come falling, right? <laughs> but I think it's important to like think that through. And I was just thinking today, like, you know, I am... Obviously, way more qualified than I was five, you know, even five years ago, but 10 years ago to do what I do now. But there's only one way to learn. Like you, you have to do it. And so mm. I'm, you know, again, I said I'm, I'm 40 now. So I'm, I'm now coming into like my, probably my zone of where my experience and my expertise are probably more aligned than they've ever been, which is now mm. setting me up for hopefully another 50 years of 60 years of, of fun and success. But like, there's no way, there's no way to get to that point without like a lot of pain, probably mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My, you know, most people, but also, and a lot, I mean, a lot of growth, which is, mm-hmm. growth is, is feels great when you get through it. But it, I mean, growing pains, literally, it's you're uncomfortable. Yeah, I was going to say, pain is an indicator of growth. It, it is. And so, and I think mm-hmm. many of us are experiencing that through, through COVID right now. I mean, it is a, it is a strange time. I mean, there's, <laughs> my life is totally different than it was. I mean, certain things are not different at all, but like, mm-hmm. like 80% of my professional world is different. You know I mean? Just mm-hmm. all the zooms. The best part for me as a filmmaker is literally since March, not a single person has told me I don't like being on camera. <laughs> went away. Just the death is <laughs> extinct. That phrase is extinct. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I, well, I do want to talk about because this is something again. Um, Greg was—he's the, the one that really kind of put into my head about that. A lot of people talk about mentorship and and seeking counsel, but Greg's the one that really, really drilled that into me. You know, whenever I'm speaking to him, just in a one way or getting advice from that's one of the things he always draws in and and having those relationships. How being in the right circles and relationship really how does how does that shorten that period of pain and and discomfort from growth do you think well, when you have someone who I think perspective shifts everything, right? So perspective mm-hmm. is a mind is a mindset, and mindset is. I mean, I interviewed a guy in my podcast not long ago who's uh, serving a life sentence for murder, and he found freedom in jail by changing his mindset, and ultimately helped him become a better person. He started mentoring other inmates, and he eventually got out on parole, and he's mm-hmm. now like doing amazing things in the world. But he realized like, oh, it's the mindset, like mm-hmm. that is a thing. So, so a mentor is the fastest way to uh, mindset to perspective and mm-hmm. so that's what i love about it you can talk to someone who has been even though the world looks different they've been through many of the human interactions and human experiences and human reactions you're going to have and so you know the great news is like uh, my favorite ones are are in conversation but we do have access to amazing mentors through film and books and things that people you know like napoleon hill like greg is just 
associated with that you never you won't have today, but you can learn from them. So mm. I think having uh, Dr. Ned Hallowell, uh, great guy, Harvard trained physician, one of the top experts in the world on on ADHD and psych, a child psychiatrist. And I had him on at the beginning of the pandemic talking with my friend Joe Polish about addiction and how to sort of look out for, you know, how to how to avoid falling into traps yourself during this time. And then also how to how to help others who were probably going to be in a pressure cooker of not being able to go to meeting 12 step meetings and other things like during the pandemic. And mm -hmm. he said something really profound. He said, you know, when you think about something a lot and it's concerning to you, it's it's you're worrying. He said the moment you find someone else you trust to, to start discussing that worry with, it instantly goes from worry to problem solving. And so mm -hmm. I think that that's what a mentor does. And by the way, um, I believe in whatever you desire to do at the greatest expression of your life, you should start doing it today. Um, you know, if you say, oh, I can't wait to make $100 million so I can build a feeding center and fill a billion children. Okay, great. Well, what are you doing to start doing that today? Like you probably mm -hmm. go volunteer at one that already exists or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I love James Altucher. I'm having him on the live stream tomorrow. Um, James Altucher calls it plus minus equals. And so I think if you should always start mentoring today too. And so James says in every part of your life, you should have a plus that's someone who you can share things with and they have a greater perspective than you. They're ahead of you. You should have a minus because every time you teach, you learn more. So you should be sharing mm -hmm. your experiences with someone below you. Uh, and then you should have an equals. You have peers like you and I are having a peer conversation here where when we are, we're, we're problem solving together instead mm -hmm. of worrying by ourselves. And so I think it's a, a great, uh, a great advice from James on having a plus minus equals all the time because it helps you process sort of in three different planes and it helps you really even out and find perspective once you're working on. Great. Yes. And James, again, another great person being in the mastermind with you got the opportunity to learn from, ask questions of, and by the way, guys, um, one of the things I, so there's people that I respect, but one of the things I find great is the amount of value, the amount of open door policy. When Duncan and I were started the work thinking about a project, we're going to be talking to you guys about next year. Nick was like, yeah, cool. Like, give me a call. And I was able to ask him questions and, and, and get some direction from, and then the caliber of people that you allow us to like Chris Voss, that was one of the most interesting conversations I've got the chance to, to listen to having the, the interview with James, all these really, really cool people that you give us the opportunity to connect with. It's just been really great. So if you haven't yet started like Instituto Googling how to connect with Nick, we're going to put some info in the show notes on how you can connect with him, with his company, DN Agency. Yeah, yeah. DN Agency. Um, because even for, for nothing else, even being able to be in circles where you can start to up-level your entrepreneurial experience, get advice from real people that are really doing it honest, integrity-led advice, not just give me another course, like sell you another course with no, no, like real stuff. Definitely be sure to, to check Nick and, and what his, his team are doing out. What are some okay. interesting things? I know you've got another documentary that you're going to be getting on the, on the works. Uh, what are some other interesting stuff that things that you've, you've got cooking right now? Oh man, I've got a bunch. So I'm finishing up this uh, documentary on human trafficking in America right now, which is mostly digital. Most people still think of, you know, the eighties, like a white van pulling up, kidnapping a kid, which does happen, which is sad, but most of it's happening under our own noses and our own roof, under our own roofs, in our own neighborhoods, no mm -hmm. matter 
whatever socioeconomic or uh, or cultural place you're at, it's happening everywhere digitally. So I'm finishing up my film. It's happening right here. Um, Chris Voss and I signed the deal. We're doing a, a documentary together. So we are going to be working. Nice. I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. It's on tactical empathy is sort of our, our initial thought process. It's Chris developed that while he was working for the FBI's lead hostage negotiator. And it's this sort of yin and yang of using empathy as a tool to get what you want, which is sort of fascinating. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, everywhere from business to your family to mm-hmm. you know, to hostage situations, right? Yeah. Um, working on that. Um, doing Dick Vitale's life story. Dick, you've yep, yep. you know, legendary basketball announcer here in the States. Uh, and then I've got, uh, we just released least the eight-part series on James Altucher on Amazon. Yeah, so, yep, yep. I've got that one. I've got that one to I've get into. Got, um uh, what else? Uh, oh, I'm, I'm working on a really interesting one um, on on literacy that we're starting to work on. And um, it's this whole thing. So we've all like when you start hearing about like hunger, right? Like the idea of hunger, most people don't really get it until you start talking about food insecurity, which mm-hmm. is different than having nothing to eat. But if a, a child who lives in a house that's food insecure, like they might go home on a Friday from school, come back on a Monday and maybe they get two meals or three meals instead of six meals. They just mm-hmm. don't have enough. So the conversation around literacy is really interesting. There's like not that many people who are illiterate, but the mm-hmm. amount of subliteracy there is, is mind blowing. Like the guy who brought me into the project was a school teacher who couldn't read. He was a teacher for decades and could not read. Yeah. He just, and so he hit it his whole life. I mean, he did what anyone else would do. Um, who's ashamed of something and didn't want to lose his job. Like he lied about it. He ended up being one of the first guys in the Jack Canfield chicken soup for the souls books. He ended up learning how to read, coming clean about it all. And he started, but he, you know, teachers aren't taught to teach how to read. It's a very interesting thing. If you think about it, like teachers are not taught how to teach children, how to read. They're just said, Hey, teach these kids how to read. Here's some devices. Here's some, here's some tools. And so, we're working through that, but there's like a lot of like doctors and lawyers and uh, surgeons and financial advisors who are subliterate. They'll just dictate everything. They'll so I, we're, we're working to change the conversation around literacy to where it, it's no longer a conversation of shame. It's a conversation of support. And how can we how can we support you and 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 get rid of the shame? Because and a lot of it's blamed mm-hmm. on dyslexia, which dyslexia is a thing, and there are there are treatments you need and things you need in order to be able to, I, I assume I never had it, but to process correctly, but, but it shouldn't be an excuse. It should mm-hmm. be, a, it shouldn't be a disability. It should be something mm-hmm. like anything else. We treat it and we figure out, okay, let's get past that. But there's, there's millions of people uh, in the United States alone that are, that are very subliterate. And so we're working on that. So that, that's an interesting idea. I'm working on another doc on culture change and how, how culture change happens. I mean, mm-hmm. culture doesn't get shifted at all the way we would expect. Um, mm-hmm. It's never by, if someone tells you to change your behavior, you don't change your behavior. Um, your behavior changes based on social cues and other things happening around you. So mm-hmm. if you want to create culture change, you can actually change the environment and it'll actually change the culture. Uh, so things like that. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's the conversations are always interesting. <laughs> just, just, just one or two things in Nick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love yeah. it. Well, uh, I know you've got to go and uh, take care of the, the small humans, but um, I just want to say it's been absolutely amazing having you on. It's been a great conversation. I found out stuff about you. I didn't know. So welcome to America, says another semi-immigrant. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but, uh, but guys, please do go uh, definitely check out DN Agency. Um, check out Nick's uh, YouTube channel. Some of the conversations he's having are really, really impactful. He has some really, really cool and informative people. If you are an entrepreneur 
and you want to start looking at how to sensibly start integrating the use of media into how to get your message across and impact more lives, definitely have a word with Nick's team. They're, they're really, really great at what they do. And just being in his world, I mean, I've uh, some of the stuff that I've been able to do, even getting my placement being even considered possible for me to get the placement in the Wall Street Journal, happened from being in Nick Circle, getting to in, be interviewed by Jack Canfield, being in Nick Circle. It's being in the right circles, being in that environment that's going to change you to a culture of success, I would say. So until next time, guys, uh, join me in thanking Nick for his time. Keep dreaming with your eyes open and remember you can consciously choose a more abundant, joyful, purpose-driven life. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Beyond Success Podcast. We hope that it has been of service to you. For more information and to stay up to date with the latest from Daniel Mangena, please head over to dreamwithdan.com. We'll see you for the next one.